Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The average price of a home in Hamilton has jumped past $1.1 million. The mayor of Brampton is calling on Ottawa to pause the upcoming carbon tax increase. We get the latest from Ukraine, where Russian forces have taken control of a major nuclear power plant. The Hamilton Bulldogs are now the number one outfit in the OHL. And cereal for supper? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. As we know, house prices in this city, in places like Niagara, the GTA, really coast to coast, they've gone up and they've gone up by a bunch. So much so, the average family home here in Hamilton now averages at $1.1 million. That's the latest from the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington in their statistics for February of 2022. After more than 1,200 homes sold last month, 71% more than January. And as mentioned, the average price now $1,104,163. That's up 4.2% over the previous month. So high, how much higher will these prices go? Let's ask our next guest, Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax's Skirtman Realty, the Golfie team. Rob, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick, and thank you for having me on. Uh, yes, it's it is crazy out there. Uh, it's unbelievable, even for us realtors, what's happening out there. When you started your realtor career a couple of decades ago, did you ever think that in Hamilton we would see a million dollars as the average? I I know never never a million dollars was something that is uh, where you see the wealthy people own houses. Uh, and uh, you'd say, wow, you, I, I remember when I got in uh, for a $400,000 house was a huge thing. Like I remember selling a house on Chancery for $450,000. And that was a big deal back, back when I started, it was like, you know, you were, you know, like, wow, you got a big listing and all that kind of stuff. Now that's <laughs> not even a townhouse uh, price. So, but it, it has definitely changed over the years. And it's just surprisingly, I've never expected house prices to come up at, at this point, like this high. We had a major uh, boost back in 2017 when really the GTA buyer really took notice of Hamilton. We saw some big price spikes, but during the pandemic, especially house prices have really gone up. So look into your crystal ball. How much longer will we see home prices continue to rise here in Hamilton? I think you can actually buy a house. If you can find something right now and buy it today for under $800,000, you can sell it in three months and probably make some money on it. You can buy it within three months from now. I think it's going to continue. I think it's going to continue probably till the end of May. And uh, and then we'll start seeing it flatline and just settle back. But I, I do feel that um, there is uh, going to be more room. And it's, it's hard to, you know, it's unbelievable to say that. But there is because there is such a shortage of homes. Burlington's got about two weeks of inventory and Hamilton has just got a little over two weeks of inventory and, uh, and it's just going to continue. It'll, it'll continue, especially, you know, um, you know, with uh, immigration that's happening and usually immigrants will buy a house within three years after the three to four years when they move into the country, baby boomers are staying longer in their homes. So that's causing a shortage, uh, massive, uh, uh, exodus, uh, from the Toronto, uh, Toronto people coming in retirees and millennials, millennials are a big, uh, part of, uh, buying right now. And, and another thing is, uh, builders are getting so delayed and getting approvals to get subdivisions down uh, done that I know the Ontario government's trying very hard to, to pass that faster, but they're still 
It's still taking them a long time and they're going to have to do something about that. And a shortage of labor, everything is just all that combined uh, is causing uh, this uh, crisis. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. You can check them out online, robgolfie.com. Um, home sellers must be still smiling and home buyers must be grimacing because we're about to enter the busiest time traditionally uh, of the housing market, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we're just entering the spring market. We just had a pre-spring market. So that was just a taste of what's going on. But now we're going to really see things rolling uh, coming up into the, the spring market that's uh, we're just entering soon. Bank of Canada raising its interest rate earlier this uh, week. Will this help cool off the hot housing market? Not a quarter point. I don't think so. Um, the the uh, it'll be about twelve dollars and fifty one cents per hundred thousand dollars. It's not enough, but if they raise it another quarter point with all the uh, you know um, rate prices of being raised, like groceries, gas, and everything else, that will make an effect. I think for sure. Uh, right now, you know, it, it it it's they're looking at it, they're watching it. It's not making an effect, but it will if they do another quarter point. And they announced that they're going to do another announcement in six weeks from now. One of the issues we're going to tackle on uh, tomorrow's edition of the Golfy Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition, here on 900 CHML, Saturdays uh, at 9, is the um, really the exodus or the, the lack of need of home inspectors. Because there are many, pretty much every home has multiple offers if it's priced right. There's intense competition. You know, there's only one person or uh, a couple that's going to buy a home. 20 to 30 others are going to be still looking after failing to get that home. A lot of people aren't getting home inspections, and this is a big issue. It, it is a big issue. A lot of people are are buying houses. I, they, they should take two looks at this house before they put an offer in because people are moving into houses that are having issues with it. You know, there could be vermiculite or mold or foundation uh, structure problems. They should get somebody in there uh, to, uh, to look at these houses while they're looking at it. I know there's a cost, but get an experienced realtor have, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll like, I'll, I'll look at it and say, listen, guys, this house has got some structural issues. I'll put my, my face, uh, side of my face along the wall of the basement and I could see it's Boeing. Hmm. You could, you know, you take a look at that, but if it's all finished downstairs, you can't see that. But, um, it, it is going to be a, a pro- it is a problem and home inspectors are leaving the, their business because there's no business and they're starting different careers and different uh, type, types of jobs. And so when when it does come back to a normal market, we're going to get a, a, a lot of inspectors that not that are not experienced, uh, and I'm assuming. So we have to be very careful. So, you know, take two, three looks at the house before you actually decide to go in aggressively on 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 a price to, to beat out your competition and getting that house. One more thing. We only got about 30 seconds for this. You recently sold a home that was way over asking. Oh, so we sold a house in Ancaster. We, we priced it at 1.3 million. Our expectations were to get 1.5, you know, somewhere 1.4 and a half to 1.5. We, we got $2 million for that. Now all the moons lined up for this person. Now, will somebody else in this complex get $2 million? Uh, it'll be, it'll be tough to see. I don't think so, but it, it just worked out as in uh, for these people. And we're so happy about it. We had 13 offers on this property. Uh, and it was a local agent that, uh, that, that got the, the deal for their client, which I'm really happy about. 
Um, yeah, very, uh, that was very exciting for those people. And, uh, we were very happy for them and they, obviously they were very excited, but, um, yeah, it's happening everywhere all across the, uh, Hamilton, Halton, Niagara region, uh, have, with all this. Have you found out whether the $700,000 over asking was a record in the city? It, 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 it looks like there is a record. Now there was another one that sold in Stony Creek. It was listed at 2 million and they got 2.7 million for it. So, um, it, the average, uh, shows that, uh, this one would be the highest, uh, increase in average, uh, versus the other one. Wow. Rob, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Rick. Take care. Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax's Cartman Realty, the Golfie team. And yes, the Golfie Real Estate Show Hamilton Edition uh, comes at you Saturday mornings at 9 right here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The federal government set to raise the carbon tax next month to $50 per ton of greenhouse gas emissions. That is going to be a 25% spike from last year's $40 per ton. With this happening on April the 1st, Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown is now asking Christopher Freeland, Federal Finance Minister, to press the pause button, slam the brakes on this thing. In a letter to Christopher Freeland, Mr. Brown wrote, quote, The supply concerns caused by Vladimir Putin's brutal invasion of Ukraine and other inflationary pressures have made energy unaffordable for many. Cancelling the increase in the carbon tax right now is the right call. Patrick Brown, Mayor of Brampton, joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Mayor, good morning. How are you? Morning. Great to be back on your show. So you've made this call. Will the feds listen? Well, we're still waiting for uh, a response. I'm, I'm told uh, Minister Freeland's uh, office has said they haven't uh, responded uh, yet, so they're obviously taking some time to think about it. What I would say is the last two years have been so hard. Uh, it's not just a health pandemic we went through, it was an economic tidal wave. You know, I saw businesses in my community of Brampton go under. I'm sure there were businesses that went under in uh, Hamilton. And there's more that are on the brink. And I really believe that we can't have any new burden right now. It's just too uh, fragile. Our economy is fragile. Uh, you know, people have put their savings into staying afloat over the last two years. And the notion that there'd be a new burden on the backs of small businesses and families as we emerge out of COVID, um, it's just the wrong call. It's the wrong time. Uh, I, I, sometimes I feel in Ottawa, in the bubble that is the House of Commons, there isn't necessarily an appreciation for the adversity uh, that many small businesses and families across the country are facing. Now, for those that don't know, Brampton is a major hub for not only industry, but certainly transportation. Hamilton, as we know, um, a, a major player in terms of shipping, transportation, manufacturing. I'm sure business owners, uh, not only in your community, but probably others, have been in your ear about this. Yeah, we have one of the largest transportation logistics hubs uh, in, in the country. And in many cases, people are set on contracts where they've got a, a predetermined uh, price that they've agreed to. And so when it changes drastically, it causes huge disruptions. And so one of my worries is with forecasts that we could see gas in the next four or five months reach $2 a litre, you know, that for anyone who's part of a, a contract, um, that causes huge ramifications. I know uh, previously you have been uh, a voice in favour of this sort of carbon tax. Have you changed your stance on this? So I'm a big believer that you have to have credible environmental programs. And right now we have 10 provinces that have all put in place a carbon price. But I think recognizing that now is not the moment for an increase 
doesn't mean you don't care about the environment. And I'll tell you my own experience as mayor in, in, in Brampton, we're going to become the first big city in Canada to have a fully electrified transit fleet, clean, green, zero emissions. So, of course, I'm committed to the notion that, um, you know, I want to reduce our emissions and meet our climate change goals. Uh, but to have a staggering increase on the heels of a, of a global pandemic um, doesn't make sense. If you create economic chaos and we see businesses go under, we're not going to have the tools and the resources to invest in environmental programs that we want to invest in. You know, I, I put a huge amount into transforming our fleet to be an electrified transit fleet. But if businesses are not alive, if they're, if they're not paying taxes and contributing to government, we're not going to have the capacity to make the type of green technology investments that we want to. We have a couple more minutes with the Mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Many people are speculating that your letter to uh, Federal Finance Minister Krista Freeland is a step towards possibly entering the federal PC leadership race. Yes or no? So I'm considering uh, the the race. I've had a lot of encouragement, um, but I certainly haven't made a uh, decision, and uh, so I've got no announcement to make on the air uh, today. You know, there are federal issues that I care about, and this is not the first time that I've spoken out on federal issues. I was uh, outspoken uh, over the last number of years on bail reform, um, on Bill 21, which is uh, protecting, you know, opposing Bill 21 to protect religious freedom. And, you know, I've never been uh, quiet or timid in expressing my views on, on issues, regardless if they're provincial or, or federal. Um, I always try to advocate for what I believe is in the best interest of, of my residents in Brampton. And, and in this case, I just strongly believe that uh, a significant increase uh, on a significant tax increase right now is the wrong time. Have you given yourself a personal deadline to make a decision, yay or nay? I'm going to have to make a decision soon uh, now that the races, uh, the rules have been uh, announced. Uh, so, you know, I, I do hope to make a decision um, very soon. Well, good luck with that. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Mr. Brown. My pleasure. Patrick Brown, Mayor of Brampton, joining us to talk about the carbon taxes. He's written a letter to Federal Finance Minister Krista Freeland to pump the brakes on the tax increase and expected 25% price spike uh, from uh, last year's $40 per ton to $50 per ton as of April 1st. At least it's scheduled to take effect on that date. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a moment for us to step up and defend our democracies, the UN Charter, the principles of the rule of law that we have. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau condemning attacks in Ukraine, including an attack on a major nuclear power plant overnight in eastern Ukraine. And brings us to our latest guest here on Good Morning Hamilton. Andrew Rasoulis is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and joins us now. Good morning, Andrew. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Uh, thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, thanks for coming on. Maybe we'll start with this uh, nuclear power plant attack. Should these targets, quote unquote, be off limits? Well, uh, yes, in terms of direct fire, and and there was no direct fire on it. Uh, it's dangerous. Uh, there was close fire near the area. Um, I mean, nobody, uh, neither the Ukrainian side nor the Russian side, wants to have another Chernobyl. So no one is directly targeting uh, these plants. The trouble with the plants are is they exist and they're in the area of what is becoming the combat zone, uh, so the war zone. And so the Russian forces and Ukrainian forces are maneuvering in areas where they have these nuclear plants. So the question then becomes securing the plants, isolating them from the combat, actually, and keeping them running. 
um, so that that they they don't have a meltdown. And thus far, uh, the Russians have uh, have managed to overnight secure the uh, the plant, and it is running, and it, it does not pose an immediate threat right now. Should we read into anything more than um, a, a military operation, or does controlling the plant by Russian forces, does that mean something in their attack plan? Well, it, it certainly means yes, in the sense that the Russian plan, unless the Ukrainians settle, uh, there have been two rounds of, of peace talks we can talk about, but thus far the Ukrainians have not agreed to Russian demands, and the, which are essentially neutrality, um, and the, the Russians are therefore pressing the attack, and they will continue to press the attack. Um, uh, so there's two outcomes, either the Ukrainians uh, make a deal or the Russians will try to seize all of eastern Ukraine, from Dnieper, from Kiev to the points east, they're not touching the west. So these these uh, plants must be must be taken as part of taking the country. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. We're talking about the latest that is happening in Ukraine. Seizing a plant or having control of a, a property like this, could this be used as a bargaining chip or one of many bargaining chips in the ongoing negotiations? Yes, of course. Uh, by controlling the, uh, the the plant, uh, the Russians therefore control uh, the electric uh, power grid uh, to Ukraine, or parts of it, substantial part of it. And they haven't shut this down. They haven't shut down the internet. Uh, there's a lot of things the Russians have not yet done, which they can do. And so um, the, there's there's more to come if this war doesn't come to a conclusion. What are some of those things that they haven't yet done? You mentioned the internet. You mentioned the power grid. Yeah. So they they and, and by the way, the 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 oil the and the gas that's flowing through Ukrainian pipelines from Russia to Europe continues to flow. Uh, they could that could still be shut down. Um, and uh, right now, that what they're doing is driving the, the prices are being driven up driven up by the international sanctions and so on. Uh, and I'm sure the Russians are charging a bit more as well. So that's why we're paying so much at the gas pumps today. And this is going this is hitting Canadian pocketbooks uh, uh, as well. But basically, the Russians can shut down Ukraine and put it in the dark, to be literal. Now, I'm not sure that's in that's in their interest to do that. They are they are trying to fight a war and win their political objective, which is Ukrainian neutrality. They are not trying to completely demolish the the the, the state of Ukraine. To the peace talks, there's been, uh, I think, a couple of rounds now. How, how, what kind of sense do you have after um, hearing some of the details from each meeting? Minimal, but important progress. Uh, any any progress is important in the, in these circumstances. So the the second round, which was held yesterday uh, in 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 Belarus, agreed to uh, ceasefire to uh, to corridor humanitarian corridors around some of the cities. The modalities still have to be agreed upon, but they have agreed to uh, have human corridors so that supplies, medical uh, uh, things can get in, and also uh, injured people, civilians, uh, can escape, uh, can be let out. As well, there would be a temporary ceasefire around these corridors to enable this to happen. So this is progress, at least at the minimal humanitarian level. Uh, There is no progress at the more important ultimately, the political settlement. Uh, And that is essentially the Ukrainians uh, have been given uh, demands by the Russians which say, you must become neutral, you must forget about Crimea. Um, And the Ukrainians have not agreed to that. And so the war 
continues. It's been a large package of sanctions from many countries, not just Canada, against Russia. Uh, Canada, although announcing a new round of sanctions or another level of sanctions yesterday, including a 35 percent tariff on exports from Russia and its ally Belarus. Uh, Are any of these sanctions slowing down the Russian war machine? They're certainly having an impact on Russia's economy. they're having an impact on the domestic situation in Russia with the unrest that's uh, that's that's coming, that's happening. We can see it uh, uh, on our TV screens today. Uh, on the war effort in itself, uh, I, I do not see any effect as of now in the sense that the Russian uh, military uh, capability is not being impaired because they have front-loaded uh, their, their combat potential. This would have taken effect maybe in a, in a week or two, perhaps. I, I, it's hard to tell, but the Russians have certainly front-loaded their operations so to account for this in the shorter term. But the longer term is very uncertain. we got uh, one more minute with Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Are there any timeline milestones? We're well into a week into this uh, invasion. Are there any timeline milestones that are going to be coming up in terms of what's happening on the ground and what's happening with each side? We're now beyond milestones. The The original milestones would have been that this should have been, from a Russian point of view, uh, wrapped up within a week. It clearly hasn't. Um, and so now we are into uh, uncharted waters. Uh, we, are, we don't know where we're going exactly. We know that all wars come to an end through settlements eventually. We don't know how this is going to play out. And one of the great risks here uh, with these calls of uh, air caps over Ukraine and NATO involvement is is the risk of spreading the war to becoming an international war involving NATO. And that, of course, then brings in the whole risk of the Third World War, which we've only thought about in fictional terms. And now for the first time, other than the Cuban Missile Crisis, we're actually having to think about it. Yes, let's uh, let's hope it just remains a thought and not a reality. Andrew, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks and for having me. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is extremely worrying. This is uncharted territory. We have never seen anything of the sort. Uh, so it's uh, not easy to predict what can happen. Uh, and it's hard not to think about worst-case possibilities. There are many worst-case possibilities when we think about Ukraine and the Russian invasion of that nation. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, We have learned uh, overnight that a fire at an administration building at a nuclear power plant in Ukraine was ignited by Russian shelling. That fire has now been extinguished, and Russian forces have taken control of that nuclear facility. What does that mean? Let's ask our next guest. Samuel M. Hickey is his name, research analyst, Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Samuel. Good morning. How are you? I'm swell. How are you today? Great. I mean, you know, considering the circumstances. Yeah, very much so. What do you make of Russia's newfound control of this nuclear power facility? Yeah, so this is the first war to involve combat around active reactors. And these reactors require a constant supply of electricity and water to keep their cores and their spent fuel pools cool. So no nuclear reactor is designed to operate in a war zone. So it is good that there is relative control at the moment and that the fire has has been put out. That is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, However, and I do also want to emphasize that as we are discussing nuclear issues today, 
the main hazard to Ukrainians um, is bullets, shells and bombs, not radiation, at least for the moment. Um, but if struck, the installations could effectively become radiological mines. Um, but so far, it seems that that is not what has happened. So for now, it is good that we are under control um, and that the fire has been put out. Given what happened at Chernobyl, which isn't too far away from from the situation, um, it's rather unlikely, I would suspect, for Russian forces to turn out the lights at this facility. They simply can't. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So they they really cannot do that. Um, And none of these reactors are essentially set up so that you can just, you know, shut them down and walk away. That's really not how it works. Um, so, you know, as you, uh, so at, at the very least right now, it is unlikely that anything like Chernobyl, um, is going to happen at this reactor, but there is a, a human dimension to this that often gets lost in the technical jargon. Um, and it, it is that, you know, uh, people are those that are, you know, it, the plant relies on people to operate them. So they often live in the town near the plant. Um, and many are engulfed in the, the fighting as we speak. And so every single day, they still have to travel from their homes to the reactor. So that means shuttling through a war zone. Um, so for many of these people, leaving is simply not an option. They're not a, like able to leave their, their town or their job because it is so incredibly important. And so their bravery in this moment really cannot be discounted. That's an incredible dynamic because one day you're fighting against Russian forces on the street. The next day you're going to work which is being controlled by Russian forces. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, but it is very good. There is uh, that. So the Russians are, you know, very much understand the, you know, what these nuclear reactors are, you know, that they need to be, uh, you know, controlled. Um, but it is with uncontrolled missile strikes that we face the risk that some of the nuclear infrastructure could be damaged. And that's, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, and there are many, you know, concerning scenarios that could play out. Um, But I do want to caution that for now, you know, there's no reason for for actual panic. Samuel M. Hickey is our guest, Research Analyst, Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How many people would work at a facility like this? And could we conceivably see Russian officials uh, from Russia uh, brought over to this facility to operate it so we don't have... Um, you know, Ukrainians who are fighting Russians on the streets, as we said, working at this facility. So there can be um, as many as a couple dozen uh, up to, you know, a couple hundred. Uh, it's it's probably likely in the, you know, the, the 50 to 100 range. Um, I, I think it is unlikely that the Russians would bring in any sort of Ukrainian um, uh, operators, uh, because you do want to trust the people who have been operating this reactor to continue to do so. It's it, there are you know each reactor is a little bit different, um, and you want to uh, be able to manage all of that that properly. Um, so that seems unlikely. Um, as is, it's also unlikely that Russia has any intention of of thwarting these reactors, of of any of the shelling being intentional. Like none of that is likely, particularly because it seems that Russia is interested in occupying Ukraine um, and and controlling it. They wouldn't want to turn it into you know a radiological nightmare. So um, they're they're going to be doing the things that need to be done to keep this uh, this situation as as calm, or at least at the reactor, as calm and as safe as possible. Because this would. You know, if there was a radio, uh, radiological release, um, 
these, these windborne, um, you know, effluents would they would actually hit Russia as well. Uh, last question for you, and you have about a minute here, Samuel. Is we chatted about Chernobyl and that nuclear disaster happened in the mid '80s? Is there still a mm-hmm. concern from a nuclear waste and protection standpoint of that area being uh, uh, an issue for residents, not only of Ukraine but all of Europe? So the danger is small. So Chernobyl is inside of a large exclusion zone, meaning the space is uninhabited and its distance from the major population centers would mitigate the consequences of a second nuclear accident. Um, But still, there are two potential areas of concern. Uh, The first is the shelling of the nuclear reactor that melted down in uh, back in 1986, as you mentioned. Uh, um, However, in November 2016, the world's largest movable metal structure was slid over Chernobyl's um, nuclear power plant to contain further radiation leaks. Um, It's reported that the containment structure is actually secure against tornadoes and covers gaps in the initial sarcophagus. Um, So it's possible a a mortar could breach it, but the radiation would likely be contained to the exclusion zone. Um, The second issue is the disturbance or dispersion of uh, radiation that's in the ground. Um, And after Russia occupied Chernobyl, actually, it's in control of Chernobyl, higher radiation measurements were taken, uh, likely to Russian trucks and tanks kicking up radiation in the ground. Um, But the IAEA, the UN's nuclear watchdog, has confirmed that those higher radiation measurements do not pose any danger to the public. So for now... It's all right. Yeah, a bit of good news and what has been a lot of bad news in that part of the world. Samuel, really appreciate the time today. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Samuel M. Hickey, Research Analyst, Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Hamilton Bulldogs will try to continue their winning ways tonight when they host the Ottawa 67s. Dogs are the hottest team in the land. And here to talk about it is the play-by-play announcer of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Reed Duffy. Reed, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Glad to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Hey, another win last night. Avery Hayes tickling the twine with 79 seconds to play to give the Dogs a 2-1 win over a talented team in Mississauga. Hamilton seems to be winning games in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, we were talking about that on air last night as well and and how they're doing this. And just take a look at the last three games alone. A 3-1 comeback in the third period against Ottawa to win 4-3 in overtime. Then they go to Niagara and win a game 10-2 to where the offense could do no wrong. And then last night, a real back-and-forth goaltenders duel where Marco Costantini out-dueled the guy who came into last night as the number one goaltender in the OHL, Joe Ranger, for a 2-1 win with Hayes picking up the late shorthanded goal. It's any way you want to play. This Bulldogs team finds a way to win hockey games and now have won 15 of their last 16 and eight in a row. Their record right now is 33-11-2-2. Hamilton won a franchise record high 43 games in the season they won the OHL championship. That was 2017-18. There's 20 more games on the schedule. That 43 looks like it's going to be topped. Yeah, it really does, Rick, at this point. I mean, this team is running at such a clip that it's hard to imagine that they don't pull that off. I mean, if they if they play 500 hockey the rest of the way, they at least match that, and with the pace that they're on right now, you got to think they're going to play it above that rate. And there, there are starting to be a lot of similarities to that 2018 team in terms of the depth, in terms of the ways that they can beat you, in terms of that feeling around the team of these guys just want to be around the rank and around one another. It, it does have that feeling uh, again. 
Ottawa in town uh, tonight. Give us a, a preview of tonight's uh, Bulldog 67s clash. You know, this Ottawa team, they always play the Bulldogs tough, and that's been the, the traditional rivalry between the two. When one team is up and the other one has been down, it doesn't seem to matter. They always play one another really hard. The 2018 playoffs, I think you could make the argument that up until the Sioux, Ottawa was the toughest out, and this 67s team can skate. They can defend. Max Denoso, the last time they were in Hamilton, had a ridiculous performance stopping over 40 shots. I think they're going to play the Bulldogs tough. Now they got Jack Beck back. They're coming off a win over the Mississauga Steelheads last weekend, so they're feeling good about themselves right now. But it's hard to imagine you know, the Bulldogs not coming out on fire again after last night, the, the way they won that game, the performance they got out of Marco Costantini, the clutch goal scoring, I think this is a real another really good test, but the Bulldogs right now look pretty tough to stop. Another minute with Bulldogs play-by-play announcer Reed Duffy. Outdoor showcase on the way at Tim Hortons Field on March 14th as the Dogs take on Oshawa. There's got to be a big buzz with the team. Oh, it's a huge buzz right now, and the guys are taking things one game at a time, Rick, but you know they want to get there. We talked to some of them about it. They're looking forward to the opportunity. And one of the phrases that you hear a lot is how many players get this opportunity, especially as a junior, to go outside and play outdoors. Everybody realizes what a cool opportunity this is and how special this is going to be for the Bulldogs, for the city of Hamilton, for the hockey community. There's so much going into this. It's really going to be a spectacular night at Tim Hortons Field. We're going to be giving away tickets to that outdoor showcase on Good Morning Hamilton all next week. If you want your tickets to tonight's game or a future Bulldogs game, go to hamiltonbulldogs.com, ticketmaster.ca. Reid, appreciate the time. Good luck with the call tonight. Rick, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, and have a great one. You too. Reid Duffy, play-by-play announcer for the Hamilton Bulldogs. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. So I was on Twitter the other day, and I noticed a tweet that read, Stressed? Cereal can be a nourishing option when you don't have the energy to cook or just want cereal for supper. Check out my tips to make cereal a more satisfying meal. So let's check it out. The author of that tweet is Shannon Crocker, our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Shannon is a registered dietitian and nutrition communications specialist. Shannon, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Oh, good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for having me here today. I'm glad that my uh, tweet caught your attention. <laughs> it, it, the first thing I thought of was, is cereal for supper a good option? Yes, absolutely. Cereal for supper is a good option. You know, when I put that tweet out, I was really thinking about how heavy the world is right now and how so many people are stressed. And when you're stressed, sometimes you just don't feel like eating. But your body still needs nourishment to help you to, you know, have the energy to get through the day to help you to feel well. And so a bowl of cereal can be the perfect, nourishing, easy meal um, to help to give you some some nutrition when you don't really feel like cooking. We do know that not all cereals are created equally. Your your bowl of Lucky Charms and nothing against Lucky Charms or, you know, your, your favorite cereal might not be the best option, though. Well, you know what? Some foods are highly processed and highly sweetened. And so they wouldn't be the first choice when you're looking to give yourself um, nutrients you need for good health. And I, but I hear, you know, when people are trying to make those choices, it can be really daunting. Like you, you stand in that cereal aisle in the grocery store and it, 
it's expansive mm-hmm. and there's so many choices. So one of the things that I suggest to people is to read the nutrition facts table to help you to compare cereals, like ignore what it says on the front of the box, because there's, there's lots of marketing comments on the front of the box. Take a look at the nutrition facts table. And so here's, here's what I look for when I'm looking for a cereal that's going to be a, a nourishing choice. I look for whole grains if you can, because that's generally going to give you more fiber, iron, um, vitamin E, B vitamins. And, and so that's, that's a great nutritional choice. It's not always easy to find though. So two things that I say, you know, really look for are fiber and sugar. So four grams or more of fiber, and that that's key for heart health. It's key for gut health, but fiber also helps you to stay fuller longer. So that's important when you're looking for uh, a meal of cereal that's going to keep you going a little bit longer um, for energy. And the other thing is sugar. So generally speaking, I look for unsweetened cereal. That would be my my first choice um, is to choose one that's that's unsweetened. But if you do prefer a, a sugar sweetened cereal and it's got that four grams or more of fiber, look for eight grams or less of sugar. Now, there's a bit of a caveat there in that if you're eating a cereal that's got dried fruit, it's it's going to be much higher. So if you've got a, a cereal that's got dried fruit and it's unsweetened, then, you know, I would say that that could be a nourishing choice as well. Just follow the serving size roughly on, on the box. Um, so the, the thing with sugar that I think people, you know, this is might really help it to hit home is that when you're taking a look at that nutrition facts table and it says, say, it's got 28 grams of sugar per serving, which isn't maybe on... Um, you know, believable on some of those sugary cereals, <laughs> that's equivalent to seven teaspoons of sugar. Wow. And, and that doesn't count for like maybe fruit that you might add at home or any additional sugar you might put on <laughs> uh, at home as well. So anyway, those, so when you're looking at cereal, those are, those are the, the things that I really look for is the fiber and the sugar. Another part of the uh, tweets that uh, Shannon Crocker, registered dietitian and nutrition communication specialist sent out was uh, tips about making the cereal more satisfying, a more satisfying meal. So what should we be adding to our cereal? Yeah. So this is where you can add in ingredients that are going to give you staying power. So you want things that uh, ingredients that are going to give you protein, fiber, and healthy fats. That's the three sort of nutrient combo that's that's going to give you longer lasting satisfaction. So I look for things like nuts and seeds, whichever one you like is fantastic. Um, I also add on fruit. And right now, apples are a terrific buy in the grocery store. So adding some diced apples on, add some crunch, it adds some fiber. It's going to help you just um, give you that, that fiber you need to stay fuller longer. And then you can also add on things that are going to give you maybe a little bit of taste pizzazz because you know food obviously has to taste good and that also contributes to the satisfaction level of your meal so things like dried fruit I I really love dried unsweetened cranberries for example or maybe you like shredded coconut and you can put that on as well so those are some of the things that you can do that are going to make that cereal into a meal versus maybe say like a snack it's going to give you longer lasting energy we have just under a minute to get to this one we know that food prices have gone up over the last little while they'll continue to go up this year especially for meat do you suspect that because of that more people are going to turn to cereal or, or simpler foods um, I think people will definitely be turning to simpler foods. As you said, food prices are going up across the board. I don't know if it will be cereal, but, you know, I think people are going to be looking at budget friendly meals like pasta, soups, casseroles, um, you know, and in terms of health, 
I think look for foods that are going to give you high nutrient value for your buck. So frozen veggies and fruits, look for bread on the reduced rack and, and freeze it for grilled cheese sandwiches or French toast. And when it comes to meat, buy it on sale um, and uh, freeze it into individual portions and look for ways to extend ground meat, like with plant-based proteins, for example, black beans. You know, I've got a great recipe on my website at shannoncrocker.ca for turkey and black bean tacos. So that's another way to sort of extend uh, your meat meals. Uh, you had me on tacos. Uh, <laughs> this is the uh, 40th annual Nutrition Month. We, we can't dive uh, much into it, but I do want to mention that you can give uh, a virtual hug to people like Shannon and other registered dietitians and nutritionists out there and fuel your body with some healthy food. Shannon, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Rick. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.